This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. A quote from Carl Sagan appeared in my Twitter feed this week and I thought it was both appropriate and profound. Here it is. Carl Sagan said, in science, it often happens that scientists say, you know, that's a really good argument. My position is mistaken. And then they would actually change their minds and you would never hear that old view from them again. They really do it. It doesn't happen as often as it should because scientists are human and change is sometimes painful, but it happens every day. I cannot recall the last time Carl Sagan said something like this happened in politics or religion, end quote. Indeed, the modern day of of this world of politics and religion are ruled by a platonic perspective that discourages both observation and experimentation. It is a movement that is ruled by an idea that states, my ignorance is just as good as your knowledge. And it is accompanied by the disdain to listen, learn, and adjust our thinking. Thereby, our position is ruled by adherence to dogma, whether it be political or religious. There is no doubt that our worldview impacts our thinking, and from these worldviews, we derive our values, the non-negotiables of life. These are the ones that rule our lives. We've seen it displayed at the protest in Lansing in recent weeks, where my rights, my freedoms, my liberties are the highest values and circumstances be damned. It was William Barr, the U.S. attorney, who recently said, the Constitution is not suspended. But I would say in extreme circumstances, the values, the non-negotiables are scaled back and they are replaced for a time by a value that is higher than those espoused under normal days and times. That value is duty. And duty replaces liberty. Responsibility replaces rights. And my charge to and for my fellow citizen replaces freedom to go where I want, when I want, and do what I want. In and during COVID-19, we are tethered to one another. We are accountable to one another. We are bonded to one another. We are liable for one another. It appears not everyone is embracing this concept, but it is apparent that most are. To that end, our teams at the food banks who are on the front lines distributing record amounts of emergency food to people in need all across the state, say thank you. To those who think me is more important than we, we ask you to think again, observe, and learn as we walk through this pandemic together. Today, Stephanie Johnson, the managing partner at Quarry Johnson & Levitt, is our guest, and she's going to help us walk through this maze that is COVID-19 and its impact on the political landscape in Lansing and what's in store for our future. Come back and be with Jerry Rasan, Stephanie Johnson, and me, Dr. Phil Knight, in just a moment.
Welcome back, everyone. Great to be with you. Thanks for being with us. Jerry, good morning. And we're back on our Zoom and clean feed. Uh, so it's nice to see you and the semi sitting in your uh, living room once again. <laughs> well, you know, that semi covers a lot of things you don't want to see. So it's all good. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it is great to be back. And, uh, you know, obviously, two weeks is almost an eternity right now in terms of the COVID pandemic and the things that happen and the work that the food banks are doing. So, yeah, it's nice nice to be back to, to get everyone up to speed on all this. Well, it's, uh, it's not always good to see maybe what's in the background on our Zoom call, but it's always great to see Stephanie Johnson, who is our uh, advocate and lobbyist for the Food Bank Council and our entire network, and she's also the managing partner for Quarry, Johnson, and Levitt in Lansing. So, Stephanie, welcome back to Food First Michigan. Thank you, Phil. I'm happy to be here. Well, uh, Jerry, I think in a little pre-production show, we had a, um, uh, a good conversation. So why don't you lead us off and, uh, and, and talk about some of the things that the food bankers are thinking about and maybe even a little worried about that, that Stephanie can help us navigate this maze that's in Lansing. Well, just to kind of recap some of the things that have happened uh, for the food banks so far, you know, once the emergency order started and schools were closed, the food banks across the state had to mobilize really quickly to distribute a lot more food. About two weeks into that, we started to have trouble with the food supply chain. And we didn't know if we were going to be completely out of food by the first or second week in April. And so there was a lot of concern about how we're going to get more food. And, of course, the Food Bank Council went to work right away, got a memo of understanding with the state, and immediately got uh, some food that was resourced through Meyer, paid for by the state, reimbursable by FEMA, to help fill our, our food supply chain. And that was hugely important to making sure that we have enough food. And, and thus far, we've not only had enough food, we've been able to distribute a record amount of food in the month of April. And that's a record for all time. Um, not just April, but for any month ever in the history of food banking. So obviously that took a lot of work and effort from again, all of the food banks across the state. Well, now we know that the economic impact is something we're going to start feeling. And, and part of that economic impact is going to be people not working and thus coming through our pantry network. But some of that economic impact is actually related to how much income the state is getting. And now what does the state have to do to change their funding structures and patterns and, and other things because they don't have as much money as they thought they were going to have? So we're very interested in hearing what, if anything, those adjustments might mean to the food banks as we start looking forward, and if there's anything else in this state budget process, both for the remainder of this year and looking at next year that we should be thinking about. And of course, we have the foremost expert on this with us. And Stephanie, we know that if you don't know, nobody knows. <laughs> well, thank you, Jerry. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you for that. I, um, I'm not sure that's entirely accurate, but I'll take it for the moment. Uh, one thing I will say, I don't know that anybody in this moment in time is an expert on anything related to COVID and the next steps and what's going on. Um, everyone's kind of developing the manual as, it, as we go along. We've not experienced anything like this. Uh, we had the recession back in 08, 09, and 10. 
that was bad. This is nothing, that was nothing compared to what we are facing right now at the moment. I want to first of all say thank you for what you folks have been doing. <clears throat> the work that you guys have been doing has been life-saving for people across the state and continuing to make sure kids get the meals that they are now missing out on because they're not in school and continuing to make sure that families who are now facing unemployment and the unemployment system is not you know, functioning for a million applicants, which we have now over a million applicants. Um, in the in the course of seven weeks, um, every, we we just were we were very unprepared for this. But who does who is prepared for a pandemic? You know, there there um, certainly are things that we're going to look back and think, oh, we should have been doing this differently. We should have prepared differently. But at the at this particular moment, we're in the moment and we're trying to figure it all out. Uh, as it relates to the state budget, that's kind of a scary situation right now. Uh, when the stay-at-home orders were put in place, a significant amount of gas tax revenue kind of kind was taken off the uh, table. Um, income tax revenue, all sorts of revenue that we generate by just being out and about every day, going to work, going to restaurants. Uh, going to the stores, purchasing items, all of that now has substantially changed. And that's hitting our state budget in a huge way. Um, at the moment, they're predicting we have about a 2.5 to $3 billion deficit in the current year. And, and that's in wow. state general fund dollars. And that's the smallest portion of our budget. We don't have a lot of state general fund dollars. And general fund dollars are, are those dollars that can kind of go anywhere and replace funding or, or fund other programs. Um, much of our other parts of our budget is federal dollars that have very tight restrictions or state restricted dollars that come into the state and are already dedicated to a specific funding source or, or to a specific program. So the general fund is, is our, our uh, part of our budget that we can fill holes and we can grow certain programs. And that's where we're going to really have some real problems. In addition, uh, a lot of the federal dollars that come in require general fund match. They require the state to put in X amount of dollars in order to get those federal dollars. And when you start cutting general fund, it becomes even more complicated because of the impacts of the loss of federal dollars uh, that might go away with it. So the legislature and the governor are going to be facing some really tough decisions in the coming weeks because this particular budget deficit is for the current year. Our fiscal year begins October 1. So they have from now to the last day of September to come up with the savings that we need to have happen because of the shortfall. But fortunately, everyone's getting along really well right now. So <laughs> sitting down and hashing out difficult problems should be a breeze, right? Well, um, no. <laughs> right, right now, things are pretty tense between the legislature and the governor. There's no doubt. Um, there's a lot of dispute between two specific laws that grant the governor her authority to declare a state of emergency or disaster. 
Um, and the night there's a 1945 law that gives the governor the ability to do that. And there's a 1976 law that further expands it. That 76 law has a time period in it from which the governor can issue an order and then the legislature, if there's any extensions, has to have input and be involved. Um, but there's the governor is very strong in her belief that the Constitution and the 1945 law give her the authority to continue doing what she's doing. Um, and the legislature's a little upset about that. And so they filed a lawsuit challenging the uh, the governor's authority. And we'll see how that plays out in court. Um, the governor's been very, very clear. She is willing to work with the legislature and, and as long as their priorities are the health of the residents of Michigan. Uh, that's what is leading her decisions, Michigan's health and security. Um, and, and she's got some factors that she's weighing out when she's making decisions of what next steps to take. Uh, some of that is the availability of testing and making sure that there's access for everyone. So if we have hot spots, we can, we can respond accordingly. And the legislature, they are, um, their, the health of the state of Michigan is, is definitely a very huge concern of theirs, but they're also very concerned about the state of the economy and the toll that this is playing on the economy. Um, and so the, the, the two sides right now, it's, it's unfortunate. I don't think that either side really wants it to be this way, but the, the um, legislature feels very strong that they need to challenge the, the governor's authority on this. We got to take a quick break here. One of the great things that Stephanie, you guys have done at your firm is have is sponsor some uh, some Zoom calls with some of the people who are making these priorities and trying to balance this out between public health and the economy. And we want to keep talking about that on the other side. You've had Senator Stamos, and just recently you had Trish Foster, the COO for the state of Michigan. So we want to hear that perspective as well. He's Jerry Brisson. That's Stephanie Johnson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. This is Food First Michigan, and we're back in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. All right, we're back here. Jerry Brisson, Stephanie Johnson here on Food First Michigan. Thanks for chatting with us. And Stephanie is giving us a perspective on uh, the maze that is Lansing, Michigan right now. And I might say that uh, the logo for, for KJL, the KJL firm, Corey Johnson and Levitt, is really a maze. At least that's the way I look at it. And yeah. you guys help people negotiate the maze that is uh, state government and the legislature and in the administration. And, um, and so we're kind of concerned about the budget here. Uh, Senator Stamos, uh, Senator Stamos said that there's a 2.3 to $3 billion shortfall in this current budget year. We haven't even talked about next year yet, but, um, and then that's got to be made up with between general fund, I think he said, and education dollars. And you shared with us in the first segment, Stephanie, that that general fund is really one of the smaller budget line items in 
state government. So we're going to have to take a lot of money out of the smallest piece of the pie, so to speak. Is that correct? Right. That is absolutely correct. Um, you know, and that taking taking money from the general fund, or we're not taking it from, but having to come up with savings in the general fund could cost us federal dollars too, um, because most of the federal program, most of the programs that have federal funding require some sort of general fund match. So it gets really complicated very quick. Um, on May 15th, we're going to have a revenue estimating conference. This is uh, something that they do every year. They do it usually in January and May. Um, and that's where they kind of they come up with um, the number of uh, the revenue that's been received thus far to make sure that budgets are on track. Uh, in addition, they do predictions for the upcoming fiscal year. This year is going to be a little bit tricky, though, because they extended the filing deadline for personal income tax filings to mm -hmm. July. And so generally at this May conference, we have those numbers or an idea of what those numbers are going to look like. And this year, that's not going to be available. So I think there's going to be a strong likelihood that they'll do another conference in August to try to figure out if well, how revenues are coming in and how things are tracking. Um, so we're going to have a lot of uncertainty for uh, probably several months as as income taxes come in with the new uh, extended deadline, as different sectors are, of our economy are starting to come back, uh, and we're going to have to see how how they come back, construction and real estate can begin. Um, mm -hmm. And I, the governor will likely make more announcements and uh, outline next steps. So we'll see if she's going to allow other sectors of the economy to come start slowly coming back. Um, I did hear that uh, GM is looking for at a May 18 date to start bringing things back online for them and the UAW workers there. So things are coming slowly, um, but that all is very uh, contingent on how the virus continues to proceed if the curve stays flat or, in, or, or hopefully goes down. Um, there's rural parts of our state that I think are starting to have some concern. I know that there's concern in the west side of the state. Uh, they seem to be getting an uptick on the latest numbers that I was able to review. So there's still we're still far from out of the woods. And I know the governor, whenever she speaks in public, uh, she maintains her stance of stay home. Stay home as, as much as you possibly can because we don't want to have a second wave of this virus. And that could be more devastating than what the first uh, go around that we've had on this. Uh, and I think she's trying to make it very clear we are not out of the woods yet. We still have to be very vigilant and careful about how we interact in public and to kind of help mitigate this virus even further. So I think it's probably worth mentioning that from the perspective of the people we serve, every solution creates some kind of a problem. So with the economy not fired up, the economy feeds the most people by far. And so when people aren't working and they don't have that income, it creates a huge amount of need 
in terms of hunger relief. And so we certainly understand the perspective that the longer you keep the economy from firing on all cylinders, the more you put families and households at risk of being hungry. At the same time, when health care and health care costs are another one of the biggest single factors that cause people to be food insecure. And so the more people you have sick and the less treatment they can get, and especially if the healthcare system is completely overrun, creates another level of need in the community that is also pretty devastating for our pantry network. So, so the food banks really get it both ways here. What, whichever strategy we employ, we know that in the next, we're, we're predicting 18 to 24 months we're going to see increased need for one reason or the other. And it's going to be not just a little trickle, but pretty substantial increased need. And, of course, that's one of the reasons why we're very interested in the legislature and the governor working through some of these budget concerns because we know that, that our concerns aren't the only concerns. There's many, many organizations who've been disastrously impacted by the COVID pandemic and our response to it. It's not just COVID, it's that plus the response. And that response includes the federal government, the state government, municipalities, food banks, and everyone else that's affected, right? So it's the combination of the reality of the pandemic and our response that's creating our current situation. And people are trying to sort through that to say, well, how do we maximize the the, the potential of recovery and minimize the, the damage, right? And that's and there's a lot of points of view. And of course, as you said earliest of all, Stephanie, nobody has the answers. Nobody is the, the perfect expert on all this. So we sympathize with the governor and we sympathize with the legislature. And most of all, we sympathize with the people we serve who either way we look at it, we're gonna have a lot of work to do. So with that, it, as you look at the compromises that are going to have to be made and, and the decisions that, that the, the state is going to have to make, whether they like it or not, um, what are you thinking the timeline for? I mean, if, if they wait till August to try to, to um, minimize the gap in terms of what they have to spend out of the general fund, that doesn't leave a lot of time to cut. I mean, are we just going to basically shut down government for two months? I mean, what happens at that point if they really wait that long? Well, they won't be waiting that long. Um, the Revenue Estimating Conference, like I said, is May 15th. After that, I think we will see some action of some sorts. There's the governor has the authority to make executive order cuts to the budget. And so I think that there's a strong likelihood that that's what will happen uh, in that process. The legislative appropriation committees, both the Senate and the House appropriations, have to vote up or down on those orders on that on, on those budget cuts. So I think that you might see that um, as a first step in trying to tackle the budget situation, but you're absolutely right. They cannot wait until August. I mean, you're looking at about a quarter and a half of time to make these cuts and they're big cuts. Now, in addition to, you know, the shortfall we have, we've got a couple, we have at least one somewhat positive piece out there, and that is our budget stabilization fund, or sometimes called our rainy day fund. Right now, we have a billion dollars in that fund. So 
uh, some of that money or all of that money, depending on the legislative leaders and the governor's decisions, um, can be used to close that gap. Now, it's a billion, and, and our, our deficit's going to likely be about two, five to three, um, so it obviously won't take care of all of it. And I would I would doubt that the legislators or the governor would want to deplete that fund in the first go around on this. Um, but in addition, you know, there's the federal dollars, the stimulus dollars that are coming into the state. Uh, they've come in in a couple different waves. There's talk of more. And so I think that there's a lot of work going on on the federal level to try to also get some help to the states. And you're absolutely right. The food banks, you see it regardless of how this outcome goes. I mean, you're going to experience it no matter what because you've got the unemployment numbers uh, the way they are. The economy is going to take a it's going to take a, a, a bit to ramp back up to what it was. I, I believe it will, but it's not going to happen in a month or two. Um, and, you know, the, the devastating if the devastating cuts from the state, you're going to feel probably as well. Um, I think the staff, I think one of the things that I noticed when we was on the call with Senator Stamos, who's the head of the Appropriations Committee, was um, how um, re, re, remorseful he was already, knowing that the cuts were going to have to happen. Yes. And, uh, you know, there's lots of great people doing lots of great work. And just the plain and simple fact of the matter is there's going to be some cuts and there means there's going to be reduced services for people in need. And so I, I just there's a human factor here, like we talked about in the monologue, that we just have to acknowledge as well. Hey, let's take a quick break. You two, we're going to come back. Jerry Brisson, Stephanie Johnson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're back here on WJR in just a moment. Food First, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Thanks for listening, everyone. Welcome back. Jerry Brisson, Stephanie Johnson here on the show today. And we've been talking about the current budget at the uh, state of Michigan. And uh, Jerry, we, we got some a pretty big gap to fill. But, you know, I don't think the gap's going to go away just because the calendar turns from September to October. Well, that's for sure, and so it's helpful to, to have a picture of what's happening in this current fiscal year. Fortunately, there there is some other relief coming to food banks through the federal government in particular, um, particularly um, the food, you know, in the food space, both through TFAP and CFAP, which is a new program getting fresh food directly from growers through distributors and then to food banks and others who can get that to families in need. So, so we do have some good news as far as government support, but we know we've got some challenges, and particularly here in the state of Michigan in the short term. Well, then we got to start thinking about already, what about next year? And, and how does this all impact our thinking and our budgeting and our planning for how much work we as the food bank network can do going into next year and we know we've always got to have one eye on the future no matter how intense the the current situation is so stephanie what about the future what is that uh what do you think next year's michigan budget is going to have in store 
Well, I think to Phil's point, uh, because the calendar turns from September to October doesn't really mean that we're going to be any better off. Uh, we're going to have some real challenges next year. They're predicting some uh, significant shortfalls for the next fiscal year uh, and not really any uh, semblance of normalcy until the 2022 to fiscal year. So we're going to, this is going to be a long haul. We're hopeful that each month as things get back online, it gets easier and better uh, over time. But we're going to start off the new fiscal year in a deficit likely, and there's still going to remain uh, some, some significant challenges going forward. Yeah, and that's part of our, you know, we look at a lot of different things to try to get a read on what can we expect and how do we make sure we have enough help. And then, of course, how do we communicate with um, everyone that we need help from, what help we need and for how long. I mean, it's really important that we that we come up with some way to estimate these things. So we look at all the legislation that's going through both the federal and the state government. Obviously, that's one area. We also look at how the need presents itself at our distributions. Are more people showing up? Are less people showing up? What are the trends looking like? And of course, uh, because this is a health challenge, we have some estimates about whenever there's a health challenge of any kind, how much more need does that create for us? Now, this is much bigger than anything we've ever looked at before, so it's hard to be accurate. But we think uh, between those things and what we know the need to typically be, we can start to say, okay, here's how long it typically takes families to recover from these sorts of things. And that's based on how long it's taken families to recover in the past. It's not a perfect science, but it's a lot more science than we've ever had to try to predict how long are people going to need help. Well, unemployment's huge. Um, those numbers factor big into our estimates of how long people are going to need elevated uh, amounts of help. And in southeast Michigan, Kirk Mays, who runs Forgotten Harvest and, and Gleaners, which I run, we just met yesterday to talk about what does that look like on a monthly basis going forward. And we think it means probably combined between the two of us, just, just in southeast Michigan, 4 million additional pounds of food a month and maybe as much as 8 million additional pounds. Now, our normal run rate in southeast Michigan is 7.5 million pounds a month combined. So we're talking about, you know, 50 to 100% increase for an extended period of time based on the factors that I just mentioned. So, of course, anything that's coming down the pipe that could influence how much support we're going to have, the sooner we know about it, the better. Stephanie, uh, I saw you shaking your head there when he talked about 50 to 100% increase. Can you even, it's hard to even imagine how much need that really is. It is. It, it, it's. I can't even. I, I can't even visualize what that is. And I know that you're already experiencing something that is hard for me to fathom as well. Um, it's. It's hard for me to understand that we have over a million applications for unemployment in you know seven weeks. It's. It's unbelievable. This is such a strange time. And there's a lot of suffering going on right now across the state, both as it pertains to human life and, and loss and illness, as well as the economic uh, circumstances that many people have now found themselves in that are 
it's a real struggle. And so I, I feel for everybody. I know that um, as the legislature and as the governor work to address this, I, I, there's a lot of rhetoric that goes on. There's a lot of, you hear a lot of things in the media. You, you understand that there's uh, some very tense times, you know, these types of crises lead to that. But at the same time, I can, I can tell you that most of the legislators and the governor lead with the thought of the suffering that is going on. And they're trying to make the best decisions they can to balance this crisis and and the human component of this and and I know as we continue our work and as we do our advocacy we are maintaining that and and, and putting that to the forefront of of the legislators decisions and the governor's decisions so they understand exactly what's going on um, and they have a true sense of where the need is so the, as they make these choices and there's going to be choices and the, the choices are you know bad or worse or less bad and less worse. And that's kind of the choices that they have before them. And uh, it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough go for the next several months. Hey guys, we got to take a quick break here. Um, Stephanie, thanks so much for being with us on the show today and your perspective, but uh, oh my God, thank you so much for being on our team and representing the need of the people we serve, but also the needs of the food banks across the state. We can't imagine doing this work without you. Well, thank you. I'm proud to represent the food bank. Thank you. Jerry and I are back to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan. Come back and be with us. We'll be right here. Thanks for listening, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight, Jerry Rasson. Let's recap this show with Stephanie Johnson, our advocate there, uh, navigating the maze that is Lansing. Uh, you know, this COVID-19 is not just a statewide, nationwide, worldwide pandemic, but it creates a lot of challenges from areas that you normally just don't even think about until you walk up against them. Yeah, I mean, it's part of what makes a crisis a crisis, right? It's It wouldn't be a crisis if we knew what we were doing every minute of the day. And what makes it a crisis is that you've got to deal with not only, you know, what you're capable of responding to, which is one set of limitations, what you know how to respond to, which is another set of limitations, the time frame you have to respond, which is another set of limitations, but also walking in the dark. Uh, you know, as you're imagining the future. So it's really helpful to have Stephanie's perspective about what we can expect from the state budget, both the remainder of this year and kind of looking into next year. And, you know, keeping our, our fingers on the pulse of that is going to be an important part of our planning as we move ahead. And even though there's a lot of attention being paid to day in, day out management of this where it should be and it's all appropriate, still, we've always got to keep one eye in the future. And it's really helpful to have Stephanie with us in this. Yeah, I don't I can't imagine doing this work, as I said, without her. And uh, she really does have her finger on the pulse there in Lansing, particularly as it pertains to how it affects uh, her clients, but particularly us, the Food Bank Council of Michigan and our seven Feeding America food banks spread across the state. Um, so I guess it's uh, it's been a good show and I enjoy seeing you. I look forward to seeing you sometime 
face-to-face in the future. But in the meantime, it's time for a little food for thought. You know what a Sagan is? I referred to Carl Sagan in the monologue. A Sagan is referred to a huge amount of something. Whatever it is you're talking about, if you say, hey, it took a Sagan amount of effort, or it cost a Sagan, it means it cost a lot. It's a unit of measurement equivalent to a very large number, and it comes from a time when Carl Sagan uttered the phrase, billions upon billions. He did this in a documentary series called Cosmos that he wrote and produced. Well, currently, the Food Bank Council of Michigan's network is distributing at least 40% more food over this same time last year. Last year was a record year for us, but COVID-19 has stretched us to do even more. The amount of food we will distribute before, during, and after this pandemic will be a Sagan for sure. A huge amount to help students, their families, senior citizens, and those who have found it necessary to discover the emergency food network for the first time in their lives. We are here for them, and we will continue to serve Michigan when and where it needs us most. Thanks for listening, and thanks for helping us do Sagan-esque work to create a food-secure state. We do that by remembering to keep food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.